Well, it's a historic week here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass because for the very first time, I am interviewing a president. No, not a former United States president, but a former president of my beloved alma mater, Western Kentucky University, Gary Ransdell, joins me today. And uh, he served as president during both my undergrad and grad school years down on the hill. I bumped into him a few times and always thought a lot of him. Gary was certainly well-liked and well-respected. Hey, you don't serve as president for 20 years at the same collegiate institution if you're not doing something right, okay? So how did he get there? And uh, what did he think about his experience at WKU as a student many moons ago? And uh, what was his career like before and after his presidency? Well, it was a fascinating career, if I do say so myself. So we'll learn more about this, as well as his achievements throughout his presidency that he's most proud of, and a whole heck of a lot more. So strap yourself in for an exciting, fun-filled blabbing in the Bluegrass. It's Season 6, Episode 26, and it starts right now. Kentucky features so much more than basketball and horses. We're home to scenic spectacles and one-of-a-kind golf courses. If boating, fishing, dining, or music is your pleasure, we'll guide you to the sights and sounds that you will truly treasure. Cause we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste. From Radcliffe to Rabbit Hash, Rabbit Ridge to Rattlesnake Ridge, nobody but nobody covers the Commonwealth to the extent that we do here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass as we wholeheartedly and very thoughtfully explore and celebrate all things Kentucky. How in the world are you? I'm Sam Moore back once again at the exquisite, extravagant, North Quail Motel and stunning Henderson KY. So thrilled to be joined by Gary Ransdale today. Like we told you, he's a former president of Western Kentucky University. Folks, he served in that capacity from 1997 all the way through 2017. And WKU is his alma mater, like we mentioned up top. So you can't possibly question his loyalty and devotion to the institution. And I tell you, big things happened during Gary Ransdell's presidency. For one, the uh, Hilltopper football program transitioned from 1AA at the FCS level. That is uh, football conference subdivision, for those of you that may not exactly be sports nuts. But anyway, they moved up to, to Division One, and that happened while I was in school. And uh, also, enrollment increased drastically during uh, Ransdale's tenure as president. It went from uh, 13,000 to upwards of around 21,000 as Ransdale and I discussed further in our conversation. So how was he able to achieve these goals? And uh, what else did he achieve that uh, gave him a tremendous sense of pride and gratification? Well, we're going to find out together as we talk with Gary Ransdale. He is enjoying a well-deserved retirement these days 
after uh, lots of years of service and devotion, not only to WKU, but other stops along the way before and shortly after. And we'll, uh, we'll hear more about those as we press on here. But before I dive into our conversation with Gary Ransdale, I do have a bluegrass brain buster. It is hot off the press and ready for you. The goal is to have one each and every week. So you're going to get the question now. You're going to get the answer at the end of the show. Now, Gary Ransdale, FYI, he was the ninth president at uh, Western Kentucky University. I want to know who the first one was. Again, Gary Ransdale was Western Kentucky University's ninth president. Who was Western Kentucky University's first president? Get the wheel spinning. We will let you know and give you the scoop in the program's final segment. Sam Moore proudly presents his Commonwealth Crowd Pleaser. Well, if this man's name sounds familiar, it uh, it probably should. He was the president for uh, both my undergrad and graduate years at the uh, mighty Western Kentucky University. He actually held that post for 20 years, from 1997 all the way through 2017. He uh, retired then and went on to... Pursue a, a brief career at semester at sea as the prester, uh, president and CEO of uh, that fine organization. He's been fully retired for a while now, but uh, we'll learn more about uh, his achievements and the highlights of his presidency, as well as his uh, fascinating career before and afterwards, and anything else that uh, I could possibly get out of him. Here to grace us with his presence, let's Make welcome the one and only Gary Ransdale. Thank you, Sam. I appreciate it. Good to be with you. Well, it's uh, good to have you with us. Delighted to welcome you to the program here. You are joining us direct via Zoom from Jupiter, Florida. So before we go any further, we need a, a weather report from Jupiter. How's it looking down there this morning? Well, it's uh, scheduled to get to 83 degrees, a sunshine, light breeze, Uh modest chop on the ocean so uh looking out at the uh uh ocean uh, at the atlantic ocean right now so all is good in jupiter florida that that sounds like it i'm telling you you got to <laughs> you know an, an ocean view and i'm betting you probably go out two or three times a day to take a walk on the beach don't you well not two or three times a day but uh a, a few times each week for sure there you go a few times each week so you've you you've got a place in Florida but uh you were telling me the other day you're actually uh in the process of building another house in Bowling Green aren't you well we haven't started yet but we plan to uh when I retired from semester at sea in 2020 Julie and I decided to fully retire come on back home and our uh we had uh, uh, one of our sons living in Orlando, Florida. He was the associate athletic director at University of Central Florida. He has since moved with our two grandchildren, of all things, uh, to Boone, North Carolina, where he's now the deputy AD at Appalachian State. Oh. And so part of our incentive for being in Florida is uh, minimized. Our other son does live down here. They live in Juneau Beach. He works in West Palm. He's the in-house counsel for employment law for Otis Elevator. He and his wife are here. So we're enjoying seeing them. But we sold our home in Bowling Green, bought a townhouse in Bowling Green, bought this condo in Jupiter, Florida, and have enjoyed it for a while. 
but uh, we miss Bowling Green. Bowling Green is our home. It's where our heart is, our passions, and so many things that we and so many others with whom we worked you know, helped to build at WKU and, and across our region of Kentucky. Absolutely. So we're going to... We're gonna move back this spring. We're, we're gonna uh, sell our place here uh, this coming spring and start building a home probably in April or May. Uh, and uh, Bowling Green will be then be our permanent home. And, you know, we've had lots of adventures and traveled around a good bit and been very fortunate, but uh, Bowling Green is home and we look forward to getting back there full time. Awesome. Yeah. So in South Central Kentucky, you'll be you'll be seeing Dr. Ansdell a lot more uh, starting next spring. And it is kind of ironic that, you know, you get to Florida and, and one of your sons moves to North Carolina. But at least you in uh, that the way of it. So, yeah, <laughs> he's uh, six hours away from Bowling Green. But as my wife reminds me, uh, you know, we moved down here to be close to them. They moved to North Carolina. So now we're 13 hours away from them. So, uh we get back to Kentucky and we'll cut that distance uh, less than half. Yeah, that'll <laughs> you'll you'll be closer to him anyhow. That's for sure. But um, anyhow, you are originally from Louisville, right? I grew up. I uh, grew up. You know, I grew up in Louisville, but since I've been away for about fifty years, it's uh, uh, yeah. I guess it's now become Louisville. <laughs> but yes, yes, I I grew up in Louisville. Yes, that's correct. Which high school did you go to up there? Just curious. I went I went to Durrett High School on Preston Street, which is now Mail High School. Mail moved their campus from downtown to that campus out on Preston Highway. Uh, and uh, uh, Durrett, D-U-R-R-E-T-T, -T, uh, Durrett High School closed uh, sometime in the early 80s. It was one of the county schools. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I grew up in Audubon Park uh, in, in Louisville and uh, Julie, my wife, grew up uh, uh, in the Westport area. She went to Westport High School. So neither one of the high schools we attended are, are remain high schools in, in, in the Louisville area. Uh, so, but we both came to WKU and met when we were, uh, we actually met spring of our sophomore year. Uh, started dating the beginning of our junior year. Uh, got engaged uh, the near the end of our junior year and got married in the middle of our senior year. So that will be 50 years ago later this month uh, that we were married. So oh, well, uh, a, lot of, a lot of water has gone uh, under the bridge uh, since we got married in December, on December 30th, 1972. Yes, indeed. That, that's for sure. It's a, quite a small world, isn't it? You're both, uh, you're both from Louisville, but you didn't meet until after you both got to Western, so... That is exactly right. So it was a hilltopper wedding all the way. Hilltopper wedding all the way. That's that's what I'm talking about. Now, uh, Gary, when the time came for you to consider a college home, what made Western Kentucky University stand out among the pack in your mind? Well, you know, growing up in Louisville, um, my, well, first of all, my brother went went to WKU uh, in the late 60s. I graduated from high school in 1969. He graduated in, I guess, 64 and came to WKU. So I came down to visit him, you know, uh, several times while he was in school at WKU. Uh, and I, I really had no desire to stay in Louisville to go to school. At that time, uh, uh, the University of Louisville was a private school, a private municipal university, I guess, until the early 70s. At any rate, uh, but the campus wasn't much there and it just didn't interest me. And I thought about, well, I, I, you know, I had no interest in, in, in UK. 
Uh, so, so my rivalry with UK started early in my, <laughs> and continued in my educational life. Uh, but no, I visited the Western several times and just fell in love. And you know, I, I didn't want to go to out of, out of state school, so it, it was the natural place to be. And at that time, a lot of Jefferson County students were coming to WKU, so I had a lot of friends on campus there, and it was just just the obvious natural place to be. Uh, and has remained uh, that way ever since. Yeah, and it has, uh, you know, maintained a, a, a soft spot in your heart. In fact, you told me that your email for life was gary.ransdale at wku.edu. So that, that is correct. So let me hear from you. There you go. Talk, if you would, about the, the programs of study in which you were uh, enrolled at WKU along with the uh, organizations and activities you participated in outside of the classroom while you were there okay no we our undergraduate experience was amazing it was it was just a magic time uh, in in the uh, early 70s you know the vietnam war was going on but we never got too caught up in and all of the emotions uh, surrounding that my brother uh, did go into rotc really to avoid getting uh, drafted at the time I uh, went to Vietnam for two terms, and anyway, I had a I had a high draft number. That was when the draft lottery was in play, and I had two eighty five was my draft number. So fortunately, uh, I I never had to be be concerned with with getting drafted. Knock on so, wood. Yeah, there you go. So our undergraduate experience was amazing. Uh, I started I started out wanting to study advertising with with the goal of going to work for. Uh, you know, one of the large ad agencies uh, in Louisville. Uh, and that was my initial uh, goal, initial intent. Uh, I tried a little bit of broadcasting, but uh, when the first tape I listened to with this Southern accent on a broadcasting audition uh, there in the studios and the broadcasting curriculum at the university, I was like, mm -hmm, maybe not, that might not work. Oh, no shame uh, in a Southern so, accent. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, so, uh, Anyway, I, I eventually migrated to journalism and public relations uh, and ended up my degree was in mass communications, which was kind of a catch-all curriculum uh, for most of the uh, uh, media-related uh, uh, disciplines uh, and uh, graduated in 73. And uh, one of my best friends was Don Minton, uh, who is currently the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Kentucky. We were roommates our junior year in, in the fraternity house. Uh, and gotcha. his father was vice president for administration and student affairs at the university. And, and he kind of became a mentor for John's father did John Minton, uh, a senior. Uh, and he convinced me to stay around and get a master's degree, which I did and completed in public administration in 1974. Uh, and then he encouraged me to go on and start a doctorate. And, and I started working in the Office of University School Relations, which is basically the recruiting arm of the admissions department. And uh, finished my master's degree, went to work full time uh, in that office. And uh, there were two of us uh, in, in that office that traveled. Uh, Frida Eggleton, who went on to be the university's registrar for many years. Oh, I remember her. I, were the two travelers, if you will. She had all the high schools west of I-65, and I had all the high schools east of I-65 in Kentucky. And so I was a road warrior, always on the road recruiting. Did that for a few years, went up to Indiana University to finish my doctorate. 
uh, and higher ed administration. Uh, and again, at John Minton's encouragement, uh, get on back here and let's go to work. And so that led to a position in the Office of Alumni Relations. Yeah. Lee Robertson did that for three years. And then I realized that, you know what, uh, this doctorate that I received basically prepared one to be a university president. Uh, it was higher ed administration. So uh, I came to the conclusion that if I wanted to achieve my career goals, I was going to need to get some experience elsewhere at some prominent universities that, that, that could put me in a position to be a, an effective campus leader. So I left WKU in 81, went to uh, Southern Methodist University as director of alumni relations in 1981, stayed there through 1987, then went to Clemson University as vice president for advancement was in that role for seven years. In the last four years of my 11 year term at Clemson, I was kind of an executive vice president uh, uh, through a reorganization. I inherited uh, budget and finance and legislative relations and facilities management and most of the administrative areas. Did that for four years. Uh, and then uh, Tom Meredith, who was a friend of mine and my predecessor at WKU called and said, uh, you know, I'm going to announce in another week that I'm taking the job as the system chancellor, I believe it was, uh, at the uh, University of Alabama system, uh, or maybe at the time, University of Georgia system. Anyway, he indicated that he was going to leave, and he said, I just thought you might want to know that. So I uh, appreciated that and went to work and started doing my homework. Uh, you know, the search unfolded, uh, went in as a finalist and had a great interview and I was prepared and was hired and started on September 12th, or hired on September 12th, uh, 1997, and actually began my term November 1, 1997. Yeah. So that was my kind of path back to WKU. But uh, your question about our undergraduate days, uh, Julie was in a sorority, I was in a fraternity, she was right. a Omega, I was, I was an SAE, Sigma Alpha Epsilon. Great friends, friends that, that I made then have remained best friends uh, since those years. And, and obviously, Julie and I uh, met, uh, like I said, our sophomore year and started dating and got married our senior year. Got married on December 30th, really for the primary purpose uh, of getting married so all of our friends could attend over Christmas break uh, sure. at, uh, at our wedding in, in Louisville. Uh, and so that was a pretty magic time. And, we put off having children uh, uh, about eight years so I could get my doctor done and get some few things out of the way that we both needed to do and started a family uh, uh, a few years after we were married and our sons are now um, 39 and 43, I guess. So there you go. Right. Yeah, 39 and 43. Well, and they're both uh, doing quite well. Now, you mentioned uh, John Minton, your uh longtime mentor and then of course his dad john minton senior of course that's how we get minton hall on campus which has been there that's for exactly right time. uh you know while i was president uh central hall was the name of that building I had been for years uh but uh john minton was an interim president uh uh and the term uh between Dero downing's retirement and the hiring of don zacharias uh, as president the Board of Regents chose to make him a permanent president. Therefore, he went down in, in WKU history as, I guess that would have been, what, the sixth president of the university. Uh, right. 
Yeah, seven, eight, nine. No, fifth president. You were the nine, seven, eight, but, but it would have been uh, Zacharias and Colonel Alexander, Tom Meredith, and then me. I was number nine. Uh, so at any rate, uh, uh, it seemed fitting that we rename uh, Central Hall uh, for uh, John D. Minton. Uh, and uh, that, was a, that was a satisfying moment for me as president. Uh, we did that, gosh, uh, uh, four or five years after I became president. Uh, but uh, given the history that we shared, that was that was a proud moment for me to share that with the Minton family. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, Thomas Meredith, of course, um, that residence hall is, uh, you know, Meredith Hall is named for uh, for his sake. Now, Meredith Hall is um, quite a bit newer than than Minton. Yeah, it is. Uh, uh, Meredith Hall and Zacharias Hall were both built, uh, I want to say, in the early 90s. Uh, the campus hadn't had much campus construction for, gosh, 20, 25 years. Uh, but while Tom Meredith was president, the three buildings were built, the, uh, what is now Zacharias Hall, what is now Meredith Hall, and the Preston Center, uh, the original uh, design for the Preston Center, the original footprint was built while Tom Meredith was president. Then I, when I came in 97, the campus was, you know, pretty darn tired, uh, a lot of deferred maintenance, uh, a lot of the buildings that were built in the uh, 60s uh, when Kelly Thompson and Rowe Downing were, were presidents uh, and needed renovation. Most of our residence halls were on air conditioned. Uh, there was just a, uh, the, the challenge from the Board of Regents primarily for me uh, was three things. Uh, first, rebuild the campus. Uh, move us into a culture of philanthropy. Let's get some capital campaigns going, raise, raise some private money. Uh, and then thirdly, raise, raise our vision, raise our, raise our status, raise our uh, profile as an institution and move beyond being something regional and let's, let's become something national and international. So that, that was the board's challenge to me uh, and so we went about doing just that. And over the course of 20 years, we put nearly a billion dollars into the campus, renovated most buildings, removed a few buildings, sure. built some new buildings. And that was done with state money, with private money, with federal money, uh, some uh, refinancing, recapitalization of, of a lot of our buildings, uh, particularly our residence halls. Uh, and then we completed two successful capital campaigns. The first one from 98 to 2002, I guess, raised 102 million and then uh, 2007 to 2012 uh, raised 202 million. And then in between, before and in between and after those capital campaigns, we, we raised close to half a billion dollars uh, in private money. We, we uh, raised our profile in federal appropriations and earmarks from the federal government. Senator Mitch McConnell became a close friend and boy did he deliver. While I was president, Senator McConnell delivered $77 million to WKU for various campus projects and initiatives and academic priorities. Oh, um, so generous. So we, uh, we, we changed our financial profile. We raised our budget from about $130 million to, I guess, the final budget that I presided over was about $410 million. Raised our enrollment from about thirteen thousand to right at twenty one thousand, yeah. uh, and uh, uh, so uh, we went from raising a million or two a year to somewhere around thirty million a year in private support. 
so I'm proud of, of the university's growth. But the most important thing in my mind was raising our sights, raising our academic impact. We started an honors college. We started a school of engineering uh, uh, to, to drive this, the Commonwealth's economy, certainly at our end of the state. But I was determined that I was going to compete with UK and U of L and, and uh, uh, become an equal to those institutions. So we started doctoral degrees and now we have four or five, uh, half a dozen or so doctoral degrees. Uh, things that changed our academic profile, raised our sights, and we truly began to view ourselves uh, as uh, what was the, the vision statement in our strategic planning over that period of years. And that was a, a simple seven words, uh, a leading American university with international reach. I remember that and, slogan well. <laughs> well, but, but it wasn't a slogan. That was our vision. That was that was what everything in our strategic plan was designed to do to make us a leading American university. Uh, and we wanted to ensure that we had an international reach. So we grew our international student population to over, gosh, uh, 2,500, something shy of 3,000 international students. At one time, we had over 550 Saudi Arabian students at WKU. We really worked that market hard. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and uh, we started doing study abroad programs, and we were looking for uh, semester-long study abroad programs. That's when we started working with Semester at Sea. We, you know, we initiated a, a program partnering with the University of Evansville at Harlexton and, and Grantham, England. Uh, that we now continue to send uh, 30, 40 students a semester to, to higher extent to study for a semester. So anyway, that, that international reach became very important. I wanted students from Kentucky uh, to have classmates uh, and elements in their curriculum that would make them a global citizen, make them comfortable in a global context, because there aren't many jobs today that are going to have some international, some global dynamic in that job uh, and I wanted WKU students not, to not only be prepared for that but to be comfortable and inspired with that. So that was that was the reason for that uh, vision statement of a leading American university with international reach. So we didn't, you didn't, during my 20 years, you didn't see the word regional in our vocabulary anywhere, anytime. Uh, we, we, we wanted to be bolder, more relevant uh, and more consequential at both the national and international level. And, and I think we, uh, I think for the most part, we achieved that. I, I would definitely agree. In fact, you know, speaking of being referred to as, you know, a national international university as opposed to regional, I know, uh, I remember hearing you say when I was there, you know, you didn't want um, Western Kentucky university to, to be referred to as, as Western so much as, as WKU, right? And that is correct. We, uh, you know, we did some research and, you know, we found that there were half a dozen different Westerns. Right. I know there's Western, Western Carolina. I've heard of that. Western Carolina, Western Michigan, Western Illinois, uh, you know, a few others, uh, Western, uh, uh, Western Washington, you know, and, right. and most of them were referred to as Western. And so as we began to get more and more media attention uh, and athletics began to perform at, at, you know, we went from at that time, one double A to one A in football, and we're going to be competing for bowl games and 
uh, you know, on TV a whole lot more. And as we, again, raised our sights, um, I just felt like being referred to as Western didn't give us an identity that immediately caused people to know who we were. And so that's when we began to use uh, WKU uh, uh, almost exclusively. Uh, and you know now you know Western Kentucky is is uh, 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 prominent uh, in, in for most of our athletic teams, but still it's Western Kentucky WKU, which you don't hear us referred to as Western now. You know, uh, 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 generation the 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 generation that I grew up in and 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 attended. You know, sure we still call ourselves Western, and and yeah. that's important part of our history. Uh, but from a uh, media and from a national and international context, there is only one WKU, and we have the rights to that three-word, three-letter mark. Uh, it's copyrighted. Uh, it is a registered mark. Nobody else can use it. Yeah, we could no. never claim uh, Western uh, as our identity, as our word mark uh, that nobody else could use. So those are the reasons behind that that line of thought and. You know, it, it was much uh, about part of pursuing that bold vision uh, that was behind that that line of thought. Right, exactly. And uh, WKU fits, like you said, there's no other uh, WKU in the country. Now, you mentioned going to uh, Indiana University to pursue your doctorate. Now, did you uh, right. did, did you maintain uh, employment at Western and just like commute up there a couple days a week or did you move to Bloomington? No, we, we, I went as far as I could go at that time with WKU's uh, 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 College of Education and, and uh, courses that would count toward a doctorate. Uh, you know, I did a master's plus, I think I did an additional 30 hours that would transfer, but we did not have a doctorate at that time. And to go to IU, which at that time had the nation's premier higher ed degree program in their school of education, uh, you had to be in residence for at least a year. And so uh, uh, I completed my, uh, or, you know, resigned from my position in the Office of University School Relations, uh, recruiting students. Uh, Julie uh, uh, was fortunate to get a teaching job in Bloomington, Indiana. So we moved to Bloomington. She taught school. I went to school full time, completed my dissertation. We were there. We moved in the January of 1976 in the middle of a hell of a snowstorm oh. <laughs> and, and uh, moved, moved, moved back in early 1978. So we were there just something shy of two years uh, and yeah. I just completed all of that and got back home and went back to work. But that was when we chose to start a family once, once we could get uh, all those things out of the way because it would have been really hard to have raised a family, completed that doctorate, uh, and, and tried to work and do all that at the same time. So that was our plan. And so we enjoyed our time in Bloomington, Indiana. Uh, but uh, I can absolutely assure you that when the Hilltoppers play the Hoosiers, uh, it is WKU all, all the time, anytime, anywhere against anybody. So uh, you'll be wearing Hilltopper red, not Hoosier red. You, you betcha. Absolutely. <laughs> Fast forward to uh, your time as president, uh, which started in 97. And you, uh, you, you mentioned briefly that the football program's transition from uh, 1AA to, to Division One. That actually happened my uh, 
my sophomore year down there on the hill. I remember it well. So uh, talk okay. about the talk about the biggest um, challenges that you and the the football staff faced during that time, and the the steps that needed to be taken to uh, to make that transition a reality. Well, at that time, and most people didn't pick up on this nuance, but the Board of Regents and I certainly talked about it. At that time, there were only two football programs in America that played one AA football uh, and one A or Division One, whatever you want to call it, in uh, all of its other sports. And that was WKU and Villanova. Oh, Villanova had a one double A football, but they were they they were one A at the time and everything else. So we were in the Sun Belt Conference, and we were the only Sun Belt Conference member that wasn't a member in football. So we were getting pressure from the Sun Belt to go on and make the transition, come on in as a football playing member as well. But we had a lot of things we had to work through to get to that point. The stadium was a one sided stadium, uh, and wasn't. Uh, suitable, if you will, for football at, at, at the highest level. Uh, yeah, so as a matter of how do you how do you build out the stadium, if you will. Uh, you know, we had to go through some things uh, on campus. Uh, there was some pushback from, from some faculty about, you know, devoting more resources to athletics or to football. Uh, but the bottom line was, as part of this strategic plan, and as part of that vision to be a leading American university with international reach, we wanted to do everything we did at the highest level, whether it's an academic program, uh, whether it's a student life program, or whether it was an athletic program, we wanted to do it at the highest level and compete with other institutions that performed at the highest level. Uh, and football was no exception to that. So we went through the necessary steps uh, and uh, we even thought about at the time of changing conferences in order to make that a more logical choice. We explored the Mid-American Conference. Uh, we, we explored several things. And in the final analysis, uh, let's just go uh, stay in the Sun Belt and, and go to uh, 1A in football. And uh, we financed the stadium as part of a campus rebuilding fee which when you were a student, you probably uh, were around when we implemented a campus rebuilding fee that included um, four projects, as I recall, uh, this football stadium, uh, the renovation of Van Meter Auditorium, the expansion of the Preston Center, uh, and the building of a music building on campus. There's maybe some like one other academic program that was in there, but we had academic, student life and athletic projects all financed through a campus rebuilding fee. And I'm thinking it was about $150 a semester per student. I don't remember the exact number, but it was something under $200 per student per semester uh, to finance those projects. Uh -huh. And so we were, I was able to explain to faculty or anyone that, that had issue with that, that look, you may not like this one project here, but you certainly like these two or these three projects over here. So if you object to this campus rebuilding fee, none of this gets done. Uh, and so most people, you know, okay, I get it. 
uh, and that was approved unanimously by the Board of Regents. And, and that's what enabled all that work to occur at about the same time. And that uh, did the financing for the football stadium. And then Halchins came in with a $5 million gift. And that may seem like a small number to put their name on the stadium, but at the time it wasn't so small. And at the time it was critically needed to get that project over the top. And, oh, yeah. and the important thing about that, it was one check for $5 million all up front at one time. And so it really uh, gave us the confidence and the financial strength uh, to do that stadium expansion project. And so that's why Halchins, uh, Halchins Industries is, is uh, co-named for that stadium now, LT Smith, the original name on the stadium. So it's Halchins Smith Stadium now. Uh, so that's how we made that transition. Woodsy League was the athletic director and, and the Sunbelt welcomed us with open arms and football. And, you know, <clears throat> a few years later, we went to Conference USA and now we've been in bowl games, what, nine out of the last 11 years. And yeah. uh, we have a winning record in bowl games. So that, that kind of changed how we are perceived. Absolutely. And athletics... Uh, not everybody values athletics as a part of the institutional culture, but at WKU, it's important to our history. Our alumni value our athletic history and athletic success. And it's the window through which an awful lot of people view the university. Uh, and uh, it, it is part of our branding as an institution. So therefore, we're gonna do it. And if we're gonna do it, we're going to do it successfully and we're going to do it at the highest level. Uh, and that's the way we've uh, competed uh, ever since. Yes. And I know me, me being a big football fan and all my other fellow football fans, uh, you know, we really have enjoyed the, the product in, in recent years. And, and how ironic is it that this year in the bowl game, uh, Western or WKU, I should say, will be playing in the uh, New Orleans Bowl against a former Sunbelt opponent, South Alabama. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, uh, so that's a great bowl game uh, in New Orleans. And uh, I we may not have played South Alabama more than a time or two in football. Obviously, so in basketball and, and, and baseball, uh, baseball, softball, basketball, particularly, but other sports, uh, we played against South Alabama for many years, all throughout our Sunbelt history. Uh, South Alabama was one of the original members of, of, of the Sun Belt when it was created, I guess, in the early 80s. Uh, and uh, so they've now built a, a strong football program and they're in, a, you know, they're in you know, South Alabama and, and Mobile, Alabama. They are in a, uh, uh, an envious recruiting region. Uh, so they've built a good program and that's going to be a, a huge a, a test for the Hilltoppers. Uh, but uh, uh, Coach Helton's got a pretty good bowl track record, so uh, I'm I'm pretty confident uh, that the uh, Hilltoppers will shine in New Orleans in a couple of weeks. Well, I know that's that's what we'd all like to see. So best of luck to uh, the Big Red on December 21st. Now you've uh, you know you've you've got your doctorate. You've held a, a wide array of of leadership roles. Uh, just out of curiosity, have you? Have you done any college teaching on the side by chance? 
No, uh, well, I, 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 early in my career, when I was working, uh, uh, before we went to Indiana, I was teaching a course uh, in higher ed administration. And then when I came back, I, I, I did a course in the history of higher ed. But that's about it. Uh, I did not at SMU or Clemson. I was just completely consumed, uh, 100% all in for, the, for, for my specific job description and duties. And the same thing as president. Uh, you know, that's why I really never played golf when I was president. Uh, I just really couldn't rationalize taking four hours to, to, any, to do any one single thing. <laughs> Too much of a time uh, commitment. <laughs> yeah, and so the, the same thing with teaching. So, you know, we have a great faculty. Uh, I, I trusted absolutely our faculty to manage the curriculum, to, do, to address things like tenure. And, you know, a lot of people talk about shared governance and my philosophy on shared governance is simply that there are segments of the university that are solely responsible for parts of the university that most impact what they do. The faculty have sole responsibility and governance over the curriculum, over tenure, over matters that relate to the academic enterprise. The administration has responsibilities for being uh, solid, if not strong financially to, to, to deal with external matters, to deal with legislative matters in Kentucky and in Washington uh, and, and to cr create sponsored research opportunities for the faculty. Uh, and then the board has overall governance responsibility on policy pertaining to the institution. And so in a shared governance model, various segments of the university have responsibility for various parts of the university and so I trusted the faculty to, to govern what they were responsible and accountable for and to leave to me and to my administration uh, things for which I and we were accountable. Uh, and let's not try to uh, bleed over into each other's shared governance uh, uh, disciplines and, and responsibilities. And that really worked well. Now there were times when the faculty wanted to object to something that we felt like we had to do. That's fine. I get that. There were times when I wasn't necessarily in agreement with things the faculty wanted to do, but I acquiesced and and deferred to uh, uh, the faculty as a whole. In some cases, to faculty and given colleges and departments uh, to to call a given shot as as it related to academics. Now there were things we did strategically like pursue a uh, school of engineering. We did not have bachelor's degrees in engineering before we worked hard in Frankfurt and elsewhere to, to uh, create uh, bachelor's degrees in electrical, mechanical, and civil engineering. Then we worked hard to create our doctoral degree programs and you know, started a doctor of education and, and a DM, doctor of nursing practice, a doctor of physical therapy, and a SID, doctor of psychology, and a couple others. Uh, so I absolutely worked hard on strategic things that raised our academic profile, but always in partnership with the faculty in those particular disciplines to help them achieve all that they were capable of as a department. So that's, that's shared governance from my viewpoint. Uh, it doesn't mean that everybody shares equally in every decision. That can never work uh, in, in a true campus model. Uh, so, uh, uh, anyway, that's a little more than you asked for in that regard, but yeah, that's how no, we view <laughs> leadership on our campus. And I always felt, felt like my role as a leader was to, uh, sustain a vision, uh, drive the institution, 
be absolutely all in. I mean, there was no other institution that mattered anywhere on the globe other than Western Kentucky University. Uh, and uh, I wanted my energy and my passion uh, and my complete commitment uh, to inspire our faculty, staff, students, and alumni. Uh, and, and, I, and I think for the most part that, that was achieved. I mean, not, there were times, you know, the university is a complex enterprise. You got so many different populations and audiences, faculty, staff, students, parents, alumni, legislators, the public. Uh -huh. And rarely do all of those populations come in alignment or agree on any given matter. Oh yeah, it's almost um, unheard of. <laughs> yeah, uh, and so, you know, I, I didn't ask everybody to always agree, but what I did want them to do was respect <clears throat> the commitment we had to the institution uh, and the passion and energy and drive with which we pursued our work. Uh, and nobody questioned my loyalties, nobody questioned my complete devotion to the institution. And I wasn't afraid to express emotions about it. I mean, it, it was that 20 years and still to this day, even in retirement, those emotions are real and deep. Uh, and I think people recognize that. And uh, like I said, may not agree, but boy, they're sure not going to question uh, commitment to the institution uh, and uh, the uh, and, and loyalty and, and passion for yeah our campus uh, and its people. I know that a lot of people really appreciated your efforts to uh, listen to different perspectives and, you know, even when you didn't agree to, you know, discuss them cordially, shall we say. Now, sure, uh, sure. I'll tell you, um, you were, uh, I must say, you were uh, constantly out and about and seen around campus when, when I was down there. In fact, a funny story. Uh, I was walking to, uh, to class one day and it was, it was Dan Meyer's class up on the fourth floor of, uh, of Rice Hall. Rice Hall. And, yeah. uh, and I'm totally blind. So anyhow, I, I was walking along with my cane and I, uh, I accidentally bumped into you. You were out there having a, a, a little chat with Dr. Dan. And I was like, uh, I was like, Oh, sorry about that. And then, Oh, sorry, Dr. Dan. And, and then uh, Dan gave me a hard time. He goes, you know, that was the president of the university that you just bumped into. I'm like, you're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now that you say that, I actually remember that. Do you? I do. You I do. And, oh. and I, was, I was so impressed um, with you were just a student. You were one of the student body. You were on your way to class, uh, you were you were all in and you didn't let anything that, any cards you were dealt affect your ambition, what you needed to do, what you wanted to do and your WKU experience. And uh, that's that stayed with me. So I, I, now that you say that, I, I recall that moment. Dan was a great friend. And, and in yeah, fact, Julie and I had dinner with Dan uh, uh, about a month ago before we, we were in Bowling Green most of the fall and we had dinner with Dan and just enjoyed catching up with him and what are you doing in retirement and so forth. Good man. Yeah, he's good people. But, uh, you know, anyway, you were definitely you were definitely visible across campus. So what what um, what kinds of steps did you take and what kind of actions did you pursue in order to, you know, develop a a rapport with with students, and I know you can't get to know all 20,000 of them, but what steps did you take to, 
you know, sort of uh, get to know them and develop a, a rapport with a lot of them anyway. Well, the first thing is to be as visible as possible. Now, in, 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 a, in my job, you know, the, the president has to be away from campus a lot. Fundraising, you know, I would spend a lot of time in Frankfurt during legislative sessions and was in Washington a lot seeking funding for this and that. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of travel involved, going to alumni events and so on. But I, I tried to be on campus as much as possible and visible on campus as much as possible. Uh, and I did, uh, <clears throat> there's an old management philosophy of management by walking around. Well, Oh yeah, know. MBWA, I've heard of that. <laughs> and that leaves a little bit to be desired, but there's some truth to that. Uh, and uh, when I was out and about on campus, I always stopped to talk to students. I wanted a high five. I wanted a hug. I wanted to know what, what you know, how's it going? What are you up to? And so, no, I didn't know all 20,000 students, but I knew a lot of them, and a lot of them knew me. And, you know, on event days, uh, you know, game days or, or other, you know, certainly commencement, you know, my favorite times were our commencement ceremonies. And every student that came through, yeah, we shook everybody's hand. Everybody shook my hand. But I don't know, three out of five students came through and wanted wanted a hug, wanted wanted to embrace. Uh, and that that was very meaningful to me. And so I, I, uh, I think students recognized my passion and I think that carried over. And I think it, it created a mindset of enthusiasm and loyalty and energy among the student body that is awfully important to a college experience. And WKU's traditions are rich and unique. You know, the red towel, big red, so forth. But unless you're constantly nurturing those things that make you distinctive, those things that, that make you unique as an institution, if you begin to lose those, then you become just another, you know, university. And I never wanted that for, for us. And so we were always nurturing those traditions. And the only way you do that is to, for people to see and feel and touch and know uh, that, that you're doing that, that you're visible, that you're part of that energy and loyalty and enthusiasm. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I've worked, I, I made it my business to get to know as many students as possible. Uh, and I wanted that commencement moment to, to have meaning for both the student uh, and, and for me. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah. Yes. And um, I remember a few times you even hosted students over at your house and fed them, didn't you? Oh, a lot. A lot. We had students, uh, you know, three or four times a week. Uh, uh, Julie, my wife, and she really didn't like the term first lady because, you know, <laughs> she was, uh, uh, just wasn't her. But at any rate, right. she worked. she worked really hard at my job for 20 years. And, you know, I put something on the calendar at the president's home. And then I'd try to show up on time, knowing that, you know, on, on each Sunday night, we go through the stuff of the week and, you know, uh, what's on the calendar and this, and, you know, she would handle it and she would take care of, you know, whatever menu, whatever uh, catering was needed, uh, whatever needed to be planned, whatever decor, whatever, anything, anything that needed to take place uh, for that particular event to be successful. 
but we had lots of student groups in the front yard. We, you know, we always had international students to the president's home. Uh, we always, every time a concrete canoe team or the forensics team or an athletic team won a championship, we always had those students to the president's home to celebrate and thank them. Uh, we, you know, we, that's just what we did. Uh, and uh, it, was, it was important that that president's home be a university place that everybody felt comfortable and felt welcome. And uh, I was pretty demanding because, you know, I would, you know, it was hard to get my work done during the day because I was in meetings and I was here and there and doing things. So I would usually try to get some work done at night. But when you have, you know, three or four nights a week events in the, at the president's home, uh, that makes it kind of tough. You have to load up on the weekend, and usually there's Saturday events. And so anyway, it, it, it was a 24-7 job. But that, that's what we loved about it. You know, that's just what we loved about it. But, yeah, we had lots of student groups uh, uh, often uh, in the front yard, in the backyard. And, you know, that was, that was just campus life. Uh, and I wanted to share it with our students, and I wanted our students to share uh, and being recognized by the president for for what they do. You retired in 2017, June of that year. So uh, what was kind of your thought process there and what made the timing feel right to you to uh, pursue retirement at that point? Well, we began contemplating it uh, 2015 or 16, and there were several factors in play. Uh, we had completed two capital campaigns and raised a lot of money. Uh, but as I began to sense, you know, you can only ask somebody to make a gift of a lifetime so many times. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> uh, and so fundraising, you know, uh, how many times did they want Gary Ransdell coming? You know, I gave a million dollars the first time. Oh, I gave three million the last time. You want what now? You know, <laughs> so, uh, you know, that, that began to uh, weigh on my mind. And in Frankfurt, uh, the, we went through seven, eight years of budget cuts, uh, uh, the, just one year after another. Uh, and I felt like I'd pulled about all the rabbits out of the hat that I could in Frankfurt uh, in terms of state funding. And, and the state ceased funding buildings uh, somewhere around 2013 or 14. The last building we got funded was the new science building that replaced Thompson Complex North Wing. It was now Ogden Hall uh, on there on uh, State and uh, State Street. Anyway. Uh, that was the last building we got funded. And, you know, we gotten a lot of buildings funded over time, but the state was kind of getting out of that business and did for, you know, eight or nine, 10 years in a row. So I was getting pretty frustrated with, with Frankfurt, not getting anything from Frankfurt and Frankfurt taking money away in our budget for two or three budget cycles in a row. And in Washington, the politics, uh, I can remember Senator McConnell calling me and, you know, sharing that uh, as the Republican leader, you know, he was going to have to follow the party line and they were going to do away with earmarks and direct appropriations. And he had been a stalwart for us. Uh, he delivered a lot of money and Senator Bunning at the same time and 
uh, uh, Ron Lewis was our representative at the time before Brad Guthrie uh, took that house seat. They delivered about as much as they could, but then there was a point in time there around 13, 14, or 15 that, that the federal government was getting out of the funding business. Uh, and, you know, that was frustrating. So there are just a lot of signs that, you know, um, maybe it's best to, to look ahead and, you know, in 2017, it'll be 20 years. Uh, let's go out on top uh, and, uh, you know, the budgets were getting harder and harder to balance. Uh, and uh, I knew some cuts were coming that I wasn't sure I wanted to be part of some of that inevitability. Sure. And the board and the board of regents and I talked about it. And so I announced in actually in 2016 that I was going to retire and uh, on um, June 30, 2017, gave the board plenty of time to conduct a search. And the board determined that uh, there are some major cuts that are going to need to be made. But let's wait for the new president to get here and and allow him or her to uh, set their priorities and determine where some of those cuts needed to take place. So that was the approach that we took. 20 years was a, was a, was a good run. Uh, we felt good about things. Uh, the board and I had a great relationship. Uh, and, uh, you know, frankly, I enjoyed going through that last year, having announced my retirement and being able to go to a lot of alumni events around the country and, and uh, uh, enjoy um, seeing people that that uh, relationships we'd built over those 20 years uh, and you know, it was it was just a very satisfying last year and you know even homecoming uh, that uh, that fall of 2016 which would have been my last homecoming you know it was oh the places you will go a Ransdale story so you know there were just a lot of neat fun things that, that occurred over that that period of time and that year before my retirement and and uh, so I felt like it was the right proper way to wrap things up. Uh, and, you know, uh, a few months after announcing my retirement, uh, I was on the board for semester at sea. I'd been on that board of trustees for uh, four or five years at, at the time. Uh, and uh, my predecessor at semester at sea, shortly after I announced I was going to retire, he announced he was going to retire from semester at sea. So, you know, the uh, board with semester at sea said, hey, uh, Ransdell, why don't you do this for a while? And so Julie and I thought about it and we said, oh, well, okay. Uh, so we took about six months off the rest of 2017. So I started on January 1, 2018 with semester at sea. And what an amazing experience, an amazing program, uh, just completely global in context. Uh, we so enjoyed that period of time. You know, pandemic comes along, wrecks havoc with that model. We were laying people off and canceling voyages. And, you know, I just decided that, Joe and I decided, you know what, let's just retire for good and get on back home. And by me retiring, we'd already, I'm our vice president for academic affairs, we had I'd hired when I first began. And he was being groomed to be the president and CEO as a succession plan. So he was ready, you know, the, the semester at sea, uh, appointment that was never going to be a really long-term thing sure. uh, anyway 
So uh, we retired in, in summer of 2020 and moved on back to Bowling Green and have been uh, retired and just doing volunteer things ever since. Yeah, so that's that's worked out nicely. But uh, for those of you that aren't familiar, Semester at Sea is a, a, a neat organization that creates study abroad opportunities for uh, college students. In fact, you mentioned this position was uh, was global in context when you were president and CEO there. You made lots of trips overseas to visit uh, Semester at Sea alumni, didn't you? Well, I did. Uh, semester at Sea, just just give a quick summary, uh, is a, uh, you know, we leased a, a ship that uh, we would recruit about 600 students for each voyage, fall voyage, spring voyage. Uh, and we would recruit students from all over America, in fact, all over the world, usually about 600 students. Um, 500, give or take, would be from the United States College, probably between 200 and 225 different campuses across America, and another 100 from uh, colleges and universities around the globe. And all those students, faculty and staff, were recruited you know, about a year in advance of each fall or each spring voyage. Uh, and then it was a crew of 182 on the ship itself. That was permanent uh, on the ship. Uh, so uh, each voyage was 110 days in the fall, 110 days in the spring. We'd spend about 55 days at sea and 55 days in port. So each voyage would include about 12 ports of call, and you would be in port for five or six days at a time before you get back on the ship and are off to the next port. And most all of our classes were when we were at sea, and some of the classes correlated with uh, classes that were being offered, but usually about 55 different courses, mostly in the social sciences, business, uh, uh, hard to do physical sciences because we didn't have wet labs, but we would convert lounges and bars into uh, computer labs and libraries. And, you know, we'd take various rooms on the ship and convert them to classrooms. And it was an amazing program, uh, you know, uh, at that time, uh, you know, we began our voyages typically in Amsterdam, and a, a typical itinerary might be uh, Amsterdam, Edinburgh, Edinburgh, uh, Barcelona, Dubrovnik, Croatia, back out out of the Mediterranean to Casablanca, Morocco, Ghana, Cape Town, uh, on up to uh, either Cochin or Mumbai, India, over to Malaysia, uh, up to maybe Singapore. Sometimes, usually Shanghai, Kobe, Japan, and then across the Pacific uh, to Hawaii and then into San Diego, usually around the 20th or 21st of December. So you start in, in early September, end in late December, then the spring voyage would go out of San Diego and usually repeat that itinerary in reverse. Uh, that was kind of our itinerary for most of those years. Uh, that I was with them, and I would always be on the ship for the first and last leg of each voyage. Welcome the students, get things started, welcome the faculty, go through all the orientations, and then at the first port of call, you know, I would leave, fly home, and then, you know, I would spend most of the semester, you know, we would manage things from from our base in Fort Collins, Colorado, uh, and the reason we were there was because Colorado State was our academic partner, so when a student did a semester at Sea Voyage, they would receive their academic credit through Colorado State University. So a student from WKU, 
and we had 15 WKU students my last semester there, by the way. Anyway, their semester that they did semester at sea, they would have 12 hours or 15 hours from Colorado State University on their transcript. It'd be kind of like they were transferring Colorado State for a semester, but they were on a semester at sea voyage. Uh, that was our semester at sea experience. And then I would always go on to the, um, you know, fly into wherever the last port of call and be on the ship for the last leg to do convocations and wrap things up and, and so forth. So that was kind of that whole experience. And it was an amazing program. But uh, when I wasn't on the ship, I was usually traveling to alumni events, raising money. You know, we were raising a good bit of private money to build endowments to support our curriculum and uh, support scholarships and various things. Uh, so uh, uh, that, uh, but we enjoyed living in Colorado. We, we were, Julie and I lived in Fort Collins and our, we were exactly one hour from Rocky Mountain National Park. So when I was in town, you know, we would always travel up to Rocky Mountain National Park and hike. And uh, so, you know, that we were fortunate to, to live in some amazing places throughout our career. We sure have enjoyed this. And I know uh, a lot of us have enjoyed uh, reminiscing about the old times uh, when you were president and even before that. But uh, lastly, but uh, certainly not leastly, if that's a word, uh, before we uh, let you go, I know you've answered this question once or twice, but for those in our audience who are uh, weighing their future college options and possible opportunities, uh, tell us why the mighty Western Kentucky University should be their first and only choice, sir. Well, it's about a rich college experience. You know, I get got when I was president and still get a bit weary when I hear people talk about college as a credential mill. Uh, you go to college to get a job. Yes, that is true. But you go to college to learn and grow and become a balanced uh enlightened individual who can live a life that goes way beyond your vocation. That's what a university experience should provide. And you can only do that if you're in a campus that inspires you, that when you get up in the morning and you walk across campus, it's a beautiful place. It's inspiring. You're motivated by the people who are sharing that experience with you, whether they be fellow students or faculty and staff and an alumni population that cares deeply about the place for the rest of their life. You know, a college decision is not a decision for the next four years uh, or whatever the case might be. It's a lifetime decision. You get a college degree that should mean something to you forever. And that's a, the hallmark of a WKU experience. It is an emotion. Uh, it's a resolve of loyalty. And it's something that stays with you. And if your college experience doesn't provide that for you, then I believe you've missed out on something. So go to college to grow and learn in ways that go way beyond your curriculum and your course of study and become uh, a, a passionate adult that makes contributions to society, to your community, uh, to those in need that go way beyond whatever you're doing to earn a paycheck. Yeah. WKU is that. And it's a, it's a magic place uh, where you're comfortable, you're safe, where passions run deep. Uh, and 
That's why you come to WKU and not just go somewhere to get a degree. Yes, you're going to get an amazing education uh, and you're going to be well prepared for whatever your chosen profession might be and whatever your degree might be in. Uh, but it goes way beyond that. That's why you come to WKU uh, to be part of something unique and special in American higher education that you really don't find on other campuses to the degree that you enjoy those traditions and those experience and those passions on the WKU campus. Yes, and the passion runs deep and college pride runs deep on that campus too. In fact, I bet you you speak to uh, WKU alumni from, gosh, the past 10, 20, maybe even 30 years. I bet you find a high percentage of them still have a red towel. <laughs> oh, they do. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like I said, our traditions are unique. You don't find them anywhere else. And that's what defines us. That's what makes us special. Uh, and so come to WKU and be part of those traditions and, and make a lifetime affiliation important in your professional and personal life. And you will not regret it, I know from experience. Well, Gary Ransdell, uh, thanks so much for taking time out of your retirement to join us. And uh, we wish you nothing but the best throughout your remaining retirement years. Sam, thank you so much for contacting me. I've enjoyed this. And and uh, you can call me anytime, anywhere, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all yours. So Well, thank you a lot. You said anytime. So 2 a.m. if I can't sleep, I'm calling you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Is that Central Time or Eastern Time? <laughs> uh, it'd be Central, but uh, okay. you take her easy, sir. I'm sure glad you've enjoyed this, and you have a Merry Christmas now. I will, Sam. You too. We'll talk to you again. Gary Ransdale is a blast. I think we could have sat there and talked for a few more hours, but uh, at any rate, you know, they named the building after him not too long ago, Ransdale Hall. I think it was built uh, just within the last eight or ten years or so, and they put the College of Education in there and uh, psychology classes, several other clusters but uh anyway a lot of us affectionately called it gare bear hall because you know dr ransdell was always so uh kind and affectionate and uh had the reputation of having a tender heart so he was uh, referred to as gare bear quite a bit and thus uh gare bear hall but uh, anyway the other buildings that we mentioned uh meredith hall minson hall those were all residence halls and uh, Zacharias was too, uh, except for Grice Hall. That was a classroom building, the one in which I actually bumped into Dr. Ransdell that day. So we got a little story to tell on that one. But uh, anyway, great, uh, great flashbacks for me, and it helped me to sort of reminisce uh, on my time and experiences down there on the hill, which were great. And uh, Ransdell was succeeded by Dr. Timothy Caboni. He's been the president down there ever since 2017. So best of luck to Dr. Caboni and his continued presidential endeavors. And uh, I'm sure that won't be the last collegiate president that we'll talk to here on Blabbit in the Bluegrass. In fact, I hope not. There are plenty of uh, great current ones out there and former ones that uh, I should probably talk to for sure. And the other people making their mark or who have made their mark on the Commonwealth. And I need you to let me know about these people because I certainly don't know about all of them. Not anywhere close. So my email address is bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com, B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S-B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. Whether it's a, a restaurant, state park, musician, educator, healthcare professional. I have talked to 
each of those people in uh, previous shows and uh, hope to talk to plenty more of uh, each of those types of guests. So let me know about them, those making a difference uh, across the Commonwealth. Maybe they're from here and grew up in the Commonwealth and uh, took their talents elsewhere. Well, you can let me know about those people as well, and I would love to consider them for future participation as well. Now, in addition to my email address, you can also hit me up on the Facebook page. You can uh, like and follow the page. In fact, I encourage you to do so because all of my previous shows are there, and we're up over 100 now. So uh, if you're new to the show, there are plenty of guests that I know you'll enjoy that uh, you missed by just now joining us. Don't get me wrong, I'm glad you're here. Better late than never, but you'll definitely uh, owe it to yourself to go back and uh, check out the guests that you missed. And you can also stay up to speed with future plans through uh, teasers that I present generally about once a week. And you can make comments, and you can leave messages. Now, uh, let me see here. When this show comes out, it's December the 7th, so December the 14th. That's next Wednesday, and it'll be the middle of December. Christmas is creeping up, but that'll be our next scheduled get-together. So make sure that you're here, because believe you me when I tell you that you are the glue that keeps this show together. Okay, I can't do it without you, and, uh, well, <laughs> you could go on about your daily life without me. I know you could, but I don't want you to because, you know, this is a joint effort, and uh, we enjoy each other's company, don't we, friends? So come on back next week, and we will do this baby all over again. But before we bid you farewell this week, we have the answer of the Bluegrass Brain Buster, which we brought to you at the beginning of the show, and to recap... Dr. Ransdale, who we just spoke with, he was the ninth Western Kentucky University president, and I wanted to know who the first one was. And he was none other than Mr. Henry Hardin Cherry. In fact, uh, back when Henry Hardin Cherry was president, it was known as Western Kentucky State Normal School, and it was uh, a school strictly for teachers. That was way back in 1906. In fact, it was formerly Southern Normal School, and Henry Hardin Cherry was the owner of uh, Southern Normal School before it went under the uh, the state umbrella back in uh, 1906. In fact, classes started in January of 1907, and 30 years down the road, in 1937, Cherry Hall was built with uh, Mr. Henry Hardin Cherry's namesake. That is uh, at the very top of the hill. I think it's the oldest, uh, no, Van Meter, I think is the oldest, but Cherry Hall's right up there. One of the most historic buildings that still remains on campus for sure. And uh, most freshmen spend a lot of their time up there at the top of the hill at Cherry Hall between history classes and English classes and there's a few other clusters up there too. But anyway, Cherry Hall was named for Mr. Henry Hardin Cherry, who was the very first president of Western Kentucky University, which was then Western Kentucky State Normal School. And, of course, before that, Henry was the owner of Southern Normal School before it uh, went under the state umbrella. So come on back next week. We'll have another Bluegrass Brain Buster. At least that's the plan. And plenty, plenty more fun. And remember that you can listen and subscribe to the show without paying a dime via Apple, 
Google Podcasts, Spotify, Verbal. We've had those for a while, and recently we have added Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Boomplay, even a few other podcast directories. And if we're not on your favorite podcast directory, email me that, Facebook me that, let me know so that we can make sure that we are a part of those podcast directories just as soon as humanly possible. So I will catch you right back here next week. And until then, you know what you got to do. Keep laughing, keep smiling, and keep laughing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide because we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste.